Changing Lanes, the official podcast of BMW. Welcome to this episode of Changing Lanes, the official podcast of BMW. I'm Jonathan Tilly, and today on the podcast, we've got a special guest for you. Head of Circular Economy at the BMW Group and changemaker in all things sustainability, Irena Feige is joining us today. Irena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> so we're going to be diving into some pretty hot topics, not only for BMW, but also for the environment. But, you know, before we do, for the podcast listeners that are tuning in, Irena, please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. Um, before I started with BMW, sustainability has always been a very important aspect of my life. Even when I uh, was a kid and growing up, I looked into a lot of sustainability aspects. And so it was more of a coincidence that I ended up in the car industry, to be honest. So, And now I'm going back to my roots in terms of what's really interesting to me and what I really want to bring change about. At the moment, I'm working with people and on topics um, that I am strongly intrinsically motivated to change something and to actually bring about change that will enable a future for all of us. So I'm very happy to be here and to be able to make a positive change. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. You know, how would you explain circular economy to someone who's never heard of the phrase? So if you think about a circle, that means that things are running within the circle. So mm -hmm. when you're using those things at the moment, most of the things are in a linear process. You use them and you throw them away and that's it, right? So the materials are going to be degraded and they either burned or end up um, in a landfill. So mm -hmm. they're not reused. So if you want to close the circle, um, you will reuse these materials. So, for example, when we're looking into clothes, you're getting rid of a jeans and this jeans is then kind of um, taken apart. Mm -hmm. and they are reusing the thread to, uh, to making a new jeans out of this. So you can basically do this with any material. Um, what is important when you're doing it in the auto industry, where you have a lot of different materials assembled within a car, you need to take them apart in a way so that you're able to separate the materials. Mm. Because if you have unseparated material, it often gets degraded because um, different materials, for example, different metals are mixed up. Mm -hmm. um, and when they are mixed up, they are using their original pure quality. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to think about being circular at the moment of producing and designing product. So you need to think about the end of life of a product once you start thinking about um, designing the product itself. You know, I never thought of it that way. That's that's so fascinating to hear. Of course, if the circle is going to come full circle, you have to think about where you start at first. So it does actually truly come full circle. And with all those materials, I never thought of it that way. That's fantastic. So in the spirit of reasons why not to change, um, what are some myths or common misconceptions that you hear from a lot of people or the general public that they have about sustainability that's, I don't know, it, it might be keeping them stuck in the past and not wanting to change? How can we bust through these myths of people that are not really open to sustainability? And um, what would you say to them? Well, I think there are a lot of aspects, depending whether you're um, talking to consumers or if you're talking to managers who are taking decisions every day. So um, 
there is, if you're talking to consumers, I think there's a lot of people are just overwhelmed mm. by what they should be doing, yeah. what you could be doing, all the options that you have. And then you will need to decide between like 10 options, what's the best option. And a lot of people are overwhelmed with the sheer data. So before they analyze all these 10 options, they say, okay, then it's just too much for me. And yeah. I just continue how I did it for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So one aspect is I think it's a very complex topic and we need to help navigate people this difficult process. The second aspect I think is inertia. So a lot of people, they used to do it all the time and then it can't be that wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So you just continue to do it like you always did and it's easy and you don't need to change. And this is something that not only concerns the environment, but it's everything we're doing, like getting out of your routine is yeah. so hard. Like when you have um, before New Year's Eve and you think about what you're going to change next year, you're trying to do that for the first three days and that's it because mm -hmm. it's hard to really change the routine. So this is the second aspect. And the third aspect is, of course, that, um, well, everybody else is not changing. So why should I be the first one of doing this? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so if no one changes, why should I do that? And it does not really help because I'm only one person and so many people on this yeah. planet. So my contribution is a very small part of everything and I cannot really change. So this is people kind of feel overwhelmed and don't know how their own contribution actually can mm -hmm. help. Yeah. And so I think we need to help them on the first hand is navigate. Mm -hmm. And navigating is reducing complexity. Mm -hmm. So for us as a company, it's important to actually be transparent, to tell yeah. people their options and why one option is better in terms of sustainability. And I think this is also something, so when you think about your personal life and how you actually can make a contribution, without going too far, without um, renouncing to things that are important to you. There are a lot of aspects that can be done before. So, for example, if you think about where you get your power from, mm -hmm. it does not change the quality of the light in your house if it's coal-fired or if it's coming from solar, right? True, so you true. don't feel anything. Yeah. So I think that's the first aspect everybody can just do, just change their um, power network where yeah. they get the power from. That's so easy and it may not even cost you money if you compare... I think that's one aspect that a lot of people are just not aware of. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, if I am sustainable, I need to not fly into the holidays or renounce to a car. So it's very difficult. And then I do, don't do anything. Yeah. So I think you can start with the easy, with the low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. So you start with products where you don't see any difference. And that's energy. Definitely. There is also a lot of which institutions you're working together with. A lot of aspects that that you you wouldn't feel, mm -hmm. um, and you can change this very easily. And then you get to the things that where you feel the change, uh -huh. uh, and where it might get a little more difficult. And then you need to, of course, it's important that you need to know what is really important to me. And there, so, for example, there are a lot of people who say, "I cannot renounce to meet." Mm -hmm. Then you don't renounce to meet at the first beginning, right? Then you look for other things. So you might think about. Maybe leaving your car at home for one day a week and taking the bike. That yeah. could be an aspect if it's easier for you than renouncing to meet. And other people say, oh, 
I don't care about eating meat seven days a week. Maybe I only do it for three days a week. Exactly. So you need to know yourself mm -hmm. before you can change. Because only when you know that you change things that are very low-hanging fruit, it's going to be easier. If you start with the things that are hardest... Yeah, you're never going to make that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's for everything in your life, right? Yeah. So if you want to change, you need to really know what's easy. You start with the easy things. And once you're done with the easy things, you take the next level. Yeah. And I think um, when you were actually reached the next level, it's so much easier because you have this strong motivation. You mm. already did A, B, C, D. Yeah. And then you get to E. Yeah, you feel proud of yourself. Exactly. And then it's easier to renounce to something that might have meant more to you like a month ago when you started with ABCD. Exactly. And so I think it's a process of change and you cannot expect that this is going to be overnight. And not everybody needs to change overnight. But I think we need to be fast actually because time is running out, yeah, right? Is. So we really need to be fast. And everybody needs to contribute in the aspects that are not so important to them. And so... This is what everybody can do. And then it comes to the question, what can we do as companies, yeah. right? And there, I think it's it's also very similar. Um, we have this complex range of things that we can tackle as a company. And there also we need to actually look where do we get the most out of the money. So yeah. if we invest one euro in um, a CO2 abatement measures, for example, we need to, to take those that bring the most CO2 contribution, right? Um, and the same with circular economy. So we try to use the measures that are cheapest first, um, and then we go to the harder hanging fruits, mm -hmm. right? And this is how we approach these things. And I think we need a very strong economic approach to this mm -hmm. because otherwise it's going to be something that is so very esoteric and, yeah. and no one really takes it for serious, right? Yeah. So we need to approach this topic with hard benchmarks, yeah. we need to approach it with a hard economic logic mm -hmm. that actually helps us steer the process in an economically viable way, because yeah. otherwise we will not be taken seriously exactly. also by the financial institutions. Yeah. So um, I think that's important. And then also the inertia that I've been talking mm -hmm. about for consumers is, of course, also true for companies, because it's easier to do it how you always did it. Um, so if we always used primary steel, for example, primary steel has um, is very easy to use because it actually can nearly do everything with it, mm -hmm. right? So you don't need to look into the specification of the material in what ways it's slightly different than the primary material. Because if you have reused steel, it could be contaminated with other metals. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it changes its quality. So you need to look at it um, very specifically and you need to look at what you exactly can do in the car with this material. Exactly. So it gets much more complex, yeah. but you need to have the courage yeah. to actually approach the topic. The awareness and the courage and not feeling that overwhelmed, right? Exactly. That you, were, that you were speaking about. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm just so enthralled with everything that, that we're diving into where all those small examples that I go, oh yeah, you know, I never thought about that. Where do I have my insurances? Or e even here in Germany, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the whole transition to, oh, have people having their cotton bags with them to go grocery shopping and they don't have to buy a new bag. Now it's standard, you know. I always have my cotton bag in my backpack whenever I go and grab something. So it's just something that we've adapted to and it's better for the environment. So you spoke about CO2 and I want to circle back to that. Um, in our prep talk, you mentioned that 
the sustainability is unfairly reduced to just CO2. And I, I thought this was fascinating. Of course, it's so much more than just CO2. So what do you mean by sustainability is unfairly reduced to just CO2? Because, I mean, the public debate is completely circling around CO2 now. And especially when we look at into the car industry, um, the debate circles around when is there an end date to the mm -hmm. combustion engine. Of course, uh, we need a strong push into electric mobility. Yeah. I'm not doubting this. And this is one of the most important aspects that we as an industry need to tackle mm -hmm. and we need to tackle it now. But if you are producing an electric car, it's still also the production has a footprint, of course. Yeah. It has a CO2 footprint, but it also has a footprint in terms of resources. Mm -hmm. And every product on this earth has a footprint in terms of resources. Not and we, just cars. Not just cars, exactly. everything we're using, right? Um, and so it's important to think about where do these resources come from? Mm -hmm. How are these resources actually gained? What is involved in these processes? What about the waste? What about the toxicity mm -hmm. of the materials, about the processes, etc.? And I think that's um, equally important, especially if we look into the sustainability challenges mm -hmm. that we have. Of course, climate change is above everything because it, it just um, impacts everything. But yeah. there are other topics as well by themselves that are important. For example, biodiversity mm -hmm. is something that, of course, has a relationship to climate change because climate change has a strong negative impact on biodiversity, of course. But um, there are other aspects, for example, how you're using land mm -hmm. is very important in terms of biodiversity. And how you're using land um, is, of course, influenced by the materials that you're using. For example, if you're using leather, where does this leather come from? You need to be very careful where the cows for the leather production actually um, where this range is, mm -hmm. where this farm is. And if this farm is in a territory where you have um, rainforest, for example, then we know about all the problems involved mm -hmm. and about the problems with biodiversity and also with climate change again. So it's a very complex topic. And so it's very important, even if you think about um, where the leather for your car seat comes from. Right. Um, and there you see how complex this yeah. is. And so we are trying to find alternatives to... Um, to materials that have a very high ecologic footprint, mm -hmm. like, for example, leather. Leather yeah. is very CO2 intensive, but it also has um, issues with biodiversity, land use, etc. that we need to closely monitor. Yeah, so it's very multifaceted. Do you think that we're wrong to just focus on the CO2 that a car is producing while it's on the road? Um, you need, I mean, this is the aspect that is very visible. Mm -hmm. And that's why the bait is concentrating around it. And of course, it's a very strong aspect that yeah. needs to be addressed. But, but I it's think, not the only thing. Exactly. And I think it's addressed because everyone is moving into e-mobility yeah. right now. So it's just a matter of um, how fast, but everyone is moving there. And really, everyone is saying, um, we are moving into e-mobility as fast mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think that's not something also where you can differentiate yourself as a company because everybody is going to raise that race, yeah. right? Um, but we need to think about the whole product. Yeah. And so we need to think about the, how is this electric car actually produced? Yeah. And what can I do to reduce this footprint? Exactly.
not just with CO2. And we're going to get into that in the next couple of questions. But my last CO2 question is, what are the key measures to improve a car's CO2 record? It's especially for everybody that's so focused on CO2 right now. Is it recycling materials? Is it more efficient engines? I mean, even you were saying it's so diverse. What are some of the key measures to improve a car's CO2 record? Um, of course, uh, the main footprint of a car is in the use phase. Mm. So the main aspect that you need to do is you exchange the combustion engine for an electric engine. That's the main measure, right? Mm -hmm. But once you've done this, um, you have a very large footprint um, from the supply chain because of the battery. Mm -hmm. And the battery production is um, energy intensive. And if this energy does not come solely from green sources, mm -hmm. you have a high CO2 footprint in the supply chain. Um, so what you try to do is you try to get rid of all the energy in the supply chain that is not green. Mm -hmm. So you try to get rid of any fossil fuel in the, in the energy mix. Mm -hmm. um, that is easy to do with electricity, rather easy to do. Um, then you try to um, exchange thermal use, thermal fossil, by using hydrogen, for example. Mm -hmm. um, then you can, um, for example, you can buy CO2-free primary steel, which is also for you as a company rather easy to do because it's still the same steel. Mm -hmm. And then you move into circular. That's mm -hmm. so. And once you move into circular, we see that um, a reused steel has a much lower CO2 footprint. Ah, so this is how it like completes the circle. This is how the exactly. circle. Oh, okay, got So it. if you already have the steel there and you don't need to get it out of the iron ore, uh -huh. um, where, because if you want to produce steel from iron ore, you add coal. Right. Um, and then you have all the CO2 footprint, yeah. of course. But if you're reusing steel, you can do that in an electric arc furnace, mm -hmm. um, which solely consumes renewable energy. So you actually can produce steel from renewable energy, wow. which is really fascinating because then you can really bring down the footprint of the core exactly. dramatically. Um, for example, if we if we look into aluminium, which is actually very easy to use mm -hmm. as secondary material, there you have um, if you use primary aluminium versus secondary aluminium, you have a footprint versus five to two. Oh wow. So there you really have a lot of potential. I was going to ask about this as well. Like how can with, with the whole production and building it, like you said, I think it's fascinating that we all think the majority of the CO2 of, of, of what's happening is on the road is the usage, but also production is important to, to keep in mind. And I love how this is just coming full circle, pardon the cliche, but it, it really makes sense. So, so how can we manage to make the production of a car sustainable as well? You're going into that with the aluminum and the steel. What are other ways that we can manage the production of a car as sustainable as possible? So you try to um, increase the amount of secondary material mm -hmm. as much as you can. Yeah. Um, that also concerns plastics, of course, yeah. um, which is a very complex topic because you have a lot of different kinds of plastic. Right. And um, at the moment, it's still hard to get the right quality and the right quantities because this market is really underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. The recycling business is not developed at all. Really? Because there's no price on CO2 at the moment. In some states, there is. Um, in California, there is a CO2 tax, but there is not so much production, right? Mm -hmm. So like the big players in terms of production um, are, are actually not paying a CO2 price. Mm -hmm. So the steel industry in Europe, for example, 
despite in Europe we have a price on CO2, which, for example, an energy company needs to pay or also BMW's production pays, mm -hmm. but the steel industry doesn't because they have exemptions. Wow. Um, because the European Union is trying to protect the steel industry from other industries like the Chinese steel industry, right. for example, who, who does not pay a CO2 price, mm -hmm. of course, in Chinese steel is extremely CO2 intensive because it's from old coal-fired power yeah. plants and also from inefficient production yeah. sites. But also in Europe, we're not so much better. We have a lot of uh, steel production that is uh, still coal-fired. Um, actually, in the U.S., you're so much better. Mm -hmm. You have um, a steel sector that is rather advanced. You have a lot of um, electric arc furnaces in the U.S., so wow. that's interesting. But coming back to the recycling business, because there is no price in CO2, a recycler does not get a lot of money for its materials. Mm -hmm. So he does not have an incentive to um, actually invest in a really industrial yeah. scale recycling business that mm -hmm. is able to separate the materials. So if the recycler does not get a lot of money for what he's producing, there is no incentive What's for... What's the point? Exactly. Yeah. And so, but once there is um, a higher CO2 price and there's going to be, that's what everybody's telling us, that there is going to be a CO2 price in all major markets um, by 2030 for everyone to pay. Mm -hmm. So also for the steel industry, for example. And this means that a recycler gets much more money for its material because there is going to be a strong demand for low CO2 intensive material. Yeah. So for secondary material. And that's why we're sure this business is going to develop strongly and it's going to be easier to get recycled stuff in a better quality and in better quantities than today. Wow. So we hope this um, recycling business is going to develop strongly. That's amazing. I never thought of that, the cost of CO2. You, you, you don't think about this, do you? I never thought of it this way. So, so that's actually the reason why we throw away so many things. Yeah. Because there's no price in CO2. Wow. So every product has a CO2 footprint. Yeah. And you wouldn't throw it away or you would try to reuse. it was worth reuse. something. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that is that's a big aha moment for me. Um, I, I want to circle back because you you mentioned it a little bit about the difference between an electric engine and um, and a combustion engine. So, if you compare sustainability records, what major differences are there between electric and combustion cars? Yeah, so we had uh, one major difference already addressed, which of course is the use phase yeah. and the CO two footprint, which of course is so much lower for. For an electric car, even so, its supply chain is a little worse than from a combustion mm -hmm. engine in terms of CO2, but that's made up in the use phase, uh, no matter what kind of dirty energy mix you might be having, because the efficiency of the car um, is so much better for an electric car. It's around 90%. Mm -hmm. And for a combustion engine, you don't get higher than 40%, yeah. even for the best diesel exactly. engine you can have. And that's why even if you have a dirty energy mix, um, the electric car fares better in terms of CO2 mm -hmm. over the whole chain. But then if you look into the materials that are used, um, of course, there are materials used in the battery um, that need special attention. Mm -hmm. For example, where does the cobalt come from? Mm. But these aspects actually uh, can be addressed 
if you were sourcing these from mines that you're working closely together. So mm -hmm. we are working closely together with cobalt mines, for example, and we actually know how they are producing. Wow. So it's not like we are only buying the batteries from someone who is again buying the cobalt from someone. You're at the source. Uh, exactly. And there we control um, the conditions of how you get these materials. So I think you can, um, when you know that there are problematic materials involved, you try to control the supply chain, mm -hmm. and then uh, you're pretty safe in terms of, of what is happening there. That's fascinating. So even for the podcast listeners that are like, yeah, that's nice. And okay, those those statistics are good. But, you know, what about a combustion engine being more sustainable than an electric engine? Is it still possible? I see how the resistance to change, not wanting to change and always go back to, like you said, it's a little bit overwhelming. We're not used to it. It seems too big and too complex. So we'd rather just stick to what we what we have. And that question of can a combustion engine be more sustainable than an electric engine? It might come up. So So what do you have to say about that? Absolutely. I mean, there's often this argument around, is it really better when it's when it's a coal-fired power yeah. plant? Um, but this uh, question can actually be very easily answered. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It is better in any market that we are talking about yeah. in terms of CO2. Um, and when it comes to the supply chain, this is something that the producer, this is us, mm -hmm. needs to address, yeah. needs to make sure that it's a clean supply chain yeah. and that is reliable. Um, this is, of course, a bit more difficult for the electric car because yeah. there you have a, more of these problematic materials, mm -hmm. but you need to control them, right? But this is the same actually for a combustion engine as well. So you always need to um, know where your supply chain. Exactly. And always trying to make it better each time. Exactly. Yeah. No exactly. matter whether it's combustion, whether it's electric, always getting better. Exactly. And so these arguments that um, electric mobility is problematic as well, that sometimes seems to me a little like, um, oh, something new is coming there and we're going to find something that um, actually kind of tries to um, explain why it's not so good. Find and the fault in it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So another question that I have is how much has the production of cars changed to meet today's standards? Or do you think it's not changed that much compared to the past? Well, it's changing dramatically, right? I mean, just exchanging the engines is, yeah. a, is a very that's big... That's massive. That's massive, right? So it changes the whole um, value chain, actually. So as it changes the whole value chain, of course, also the way the car is actually produced changes. Mm. And then when it comes to what kind of materials you're using, that's also a very big change. If you're thinking this closed loop, as we call it, mm -hmm. we call it closed loop if you close the circle, yeah. so to say. Um, and there, um, getting back to our example from the beginning, when we think about closing this circle, mm -hmm. we need to think about the timelines that we're yeah, talking about. So when we design a car today, um, this has its start of production usually in six years from now. Um, then it's going to be produced for another six years. Then we are at 12 years. And then it has usually another six years where it's going to be produced. Uh -huh. um, so we're just talking about 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're talking about 18 to 20 years when it's in the market. Yeah. So we're talking about 40 years yeah. right now. So when we think about end-of-life design, mm. we're thinking about a car that is going to be dismantled in 40 years yeah. from now. 
And that's what makes it so challenging yeah. because we do not know how the recycling business is changing. Like you said, 2030, the CO2, will it be, will there be new laws? This is such new land and there's everything's evolving so fast and and then the 40-year lifespan and then closing the circle. I mean, it's it's a lot to think about. Absolutely. And the only way you can navigate this is if you really know where you want to go, yeah. right? So if you know what your vision is and if your vision is that you want to use as little new primary material as mm-hmm. possible, then you know how to address this because then you have this vision mm. of using as much secondary material as possible and then you try to do everything to come close to that yeah. vision, right? Yeah. Every year, every step at a time. Yeah. Um, and this is how you approach this process. Yeah. If you only say, oh, I'm trying to project um, how regulation is going to be and I'm only doing what regulation is demanding from me, then it's going to be very complex because yeah. I will have a regulation in the US. I will have one in China. I will have one in Europe. It's going to be a very complex thing to navigate. Yeah. And for sure... <laughs> you're going to be wrong because it's never going to be like you projected. Exactly. The only thing for scenarios that we know is for sure they're going to be wrong, right? It's always <laughs> going to be different. It's maybe somewhere in between two scenarios, mm-hmm. but it's for sure going to be different. Yeah. So the only thing to navigate this very long time frame is to really know where you want to go. Yeah, yeah. So you need to be sure of your strategy. You yeah. need to be sure of where your North Star is. And you need to be sure of your vision. Mm. I mean, speaking about vision, getting really specific on one specific car, uh, take, for example, the new BMW iX. So what makes it more sustainable than the cars from the past? Um, Actually, we are having, apart from being a completely Mm. electric car, of course, we're having a lot of aspects of where we're closing the circle and where we're using secondary material Mm -hmm. already. So um, this is actually one of our first cars where we already have rather high shares of secondary material amounts. Mm -hmm. This is where we, for the first time, show how actually this could look like. but then we're going much further with um, our new architecture, which is going to be launched in 2025. Wow. And there we're taking this even much stronger. And um, at the moment, we're looking into how far can we go from a technical point of view mm-hmm. and how far can we go from an availability point of view. And what we um, discover at the moment is that the limit does not seem to be the construction of the car but more the outside world, so of how, of where to get the material from. So this means that there is actually a very, very high potential in the car industry to dramatically scale up secondary material use from a construction point of view, but we need to develop the market for secondary materials. I mean, you you said the word, you said potential. When when you said that... Really? The first word that came into my mind was potential. The potential out there is, is fantastic. I mean, that just blows my mind. Also, what you, what you said about, you know, with, with the cobalt and not just buying from the from them who buys from them. You are there. You're at the source. And um, even here in some fun facts, it says, you know, you're going deeper in the delivery chain and are building direct connections to sub-suppliers to ensure environmental and social standards. And, and I think the potential 
is just out of this world. So I, I want to dive deeper into the materials as well. Um, we were speaking about plastics and and the idea of of um, closing the gap, making it make it come full circle. Designing firstly with the full circle in mind, and how do you separate those those different materials? Now I really want to dive into it. So. How do you make sure that these materials that you use come from good places, um, especially stuff like materials that, that are needed for batteries? Absolutely. So for batteries, um, the battery, of course, also has a very high value, mm. right, of the, all the materials that are in there. So uh, you have a very strong motivation, not only from an economic standpoint, to reuse these materials. The challenge that we are facing with the battery is that um, the batteries that are coming back are much, from a volume standpoint, yeah. of much less than um, the new batteries that are produced because mm-hmm. uh, we have this high ramp up of immobility, yeah. right? So you will be in a situation where you strongly need to source primary new battery mm-hmm. materials. That's the case. And that this is, um, we cannot eliminate this. But what we can do is um, we can use all the materials that are coming back from the batteries right now. Mm-hmm. And we can design the batteries in a way to be able to dismantle them so that we can reuse actually everything. Um, at the moment, we are strongly engaging in processes where we try to recover all the materials from the battery then. Mm-hmm. And so there's um, we need research there um, and we need strong partnerships in order to be able to ensure that these battery materials actually go back into a battery mm-hmm. or at least in a kind of usage on the same stage. Yeah. Because what we want to avoid when we are talking actually for the circle, there is an open circle and an open loop mm-hmm. and a closed loop. Mm-hmm. The difference between these two is when you're talking about a closed loop, you're talking about the closed loop in the car industry. Uh-huh. So you're talking about one industry. Right. When you open your loop, you're talking also about other usages. So uh-huh. for example, when we dismantle a car at the moment, most of the metals or most of the steel at least, go to construction. Uh-huh. But this is a lower kind of usage mm-hmm. because they have very little specifications mm-hmm. in terms of the quality of the material. Right. That's why it gets downcycled. Yeah. But this downcycling, of course, has a limit to it. You cannot further downcycle then. So if the construction industry wants to reuse this already downcycled material again, there you get into the limit um, because once you have, it's contaminated up to a certain point, you cannot use it mm-hmm. even in construction. Yeah. So what you need to try to do is to keep the material flow on the same level as long as possible. Ah, okay. So you try to close the loop within your industry. And that's what we try to do when we um, think about end-of-life design mm-hmm. so that the steel that we are using is going to be used in the car industry again. Yeah. Doesn't matter if we as BMW are using this, but we as an industry. So this could also be used by another car manufacturer. So the closed loop is not a closed company loop, Mm -hmm. but it's a closed industry loop. That's what we need to be looking for. Do you know, this is going back to to our original, the the chat about, you know, oh, it's overwhelming. How can I be the only, I feel like I'm the only one. Just hearing this from you and seeing, understanding the closed open loop and keeping it closed within the industry, that gives me so much inspiration to be like, you know, I don't feel like I'm the only one doing my thing of trying to be as sustainable and environmentally friendly as possible. This is so great to know for, especially for the podcast listeners that didn't know about this. 
this. So, so we spoke about batteries. We spoke about steel. Let's talk about leather for a second. Mini has ditched leather for their cars for the future. Will BMW be doing the same? Uh, we're working in that direction. Mm-hmm. We are strongly looking into alternatives. So before we can ditch that, of course, we need to see what kind of alternatives yeah, of do course. we have. Yeah. Um, we need to see how the production of alternatives can be scaled because at the moment, a lot of very sexy alternatives are very small scale, right? Yeah. So you need to have companies that are able to reduce this large scale, industrial scale. And the second aspect is that you need to look also into the footprint of the alternative. Yeah. You don't want an alternative that is toxic or mm-hmm. anything. So you need to manage that risk. Um, for that, that's not a big problem, but it's an issue for all the materials, right? So. And uh, if you're looking into um, biomaterials, for example, so if you're looking for subsidies for leather, we're probably going to use um, bio-based mm-hmm. stuff because you don't want plastic, right? right, as an alternative. You don't want fossil-based plastic. Um, so we're looking into bio-based, and there you have a lot of different options, like your unlimited options, so wow. to say. And actually, it's not only us moving there. So um, the textile industry is doing a lot. So um, also players that you would not expect to be there, like fast fashion companies um, are declaring to be completely circular by 2030. So I'm sure a lot of innovation potential also in other industries is moving there. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, helps us because if a lot of other um, companies are looking into leather alternatives, there are going to be very good alternatives. If we are the only ones, then it's only us exploring this. And so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of different materials that are either bio-based or there are recycled materials um, by 2030 that can be used in the car industry, but also in other industries. So that could be closed loop in the fashion industry and also in the automotive industry as well. Absolutely, yes. Wow, that's pretty cool. And, you know, as a fun fact, we um, identified 38 critical raw materials that we take special measures with. And just hearing that number alone, it's like, okay, it's not just leather, steel, aluminum. There's so many different factors that you're working on that really trying to make every single car that's produced even more sustainable than before. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about more reasons to change. I I mean, I know for me, this has just been so eye-opening, but for the podcast listeners that might still be on the fence, you know, okay, production might be one thing, but you know, you kind of need people to drive the cars as well, right? So what are the most important things, me as a as a car owner and as a driver, that I can do to improve the sustainability of my car, like in usage? How can I, as a driver, help make a change when it comes to sustainability? So when you already own an electric car, um, then of course it comes to the energy mix that mm-hmm. are um, that you're consuming. Um, you should look into your energy provider and see if it's a green energy provider. Mm-hmm. If not, you, th- you should think about to change this because the only when you know um, where the energy is coming from, you know how green your footprint in the use phase is, right? Exactly. So that's that's one thing I think if you already own an, an electric car, it's only consistent to actually uh, consume green energy, right? right? 
Yeah. Exactly. So and that's what you said in the beginning as well. You know, do you know where your energy is coming from? Is it green? That's something that's really easily done. It's a phone call away or an email away to make that change. Exactly. And so, um, and when you own uh, the electric car, um, it's it's only consistent to have that either from a green energy supplier. Mm. Or if you're in the passive, uh, in the in the in the position to actually also produce your own energy, I think that's also a very smart way, um, because the more decentralized the energy mix is, the easier it is for the whole system to change. Mm-hmm. So we not only need people to consume green energy, because in some markets like Germany, it's going to be a challenge. It's possible, but it's going to be a challenge to completely have yeah. green energy. But the more decentralized we are, the more people that are producing their own energy, mm-hmm. the easier it gets for the whole power sector exactly. to change. Exactly. And then you also think about the heating system in your house, etc. And so that's a whole complex of things. Mm-hmm. So when you've changed um, the energy that you're using and maybe also the, the heating system, actually a lot of energy is consumed for heating. Yeah. And I just discovered the heating sector in Germany is so fossil-based still. Really? When when we think about um, using heating systems from solar power, mm-hmm. there is a payment that you get back on your investment. Um, you you don't get that on the market right now. Yeah. So, um, but it's it still seems like having a heating system is is so much cheaper to build, right? Then. And but in the this long is, term, exactly, and this is something that you also need to think about when you when you think about the decision between combustion engine and, and an electric yeah. car. Um, of course, at the first sight, it might be a little more expensive, but actually, the the cheapest cars, even at the moment, if you're looking total cost of ownership, yeah, the electric car is usually cheaper, yeah. um, and so. It's also an aspect that you need to think about when you're making your choice. When exactly. you do long-term investments um, in a car or in a heating system, yeah. you need to think about all the costs that are coming. It's just it's, like like when you buy an LED light bulb. You know, we've all switched on over to LED light bulbs. Exactly. We don't think about it anymore. Is it more expensive? Yes. For the long run? No. no. Exactly. Exactly. We're still getting accustomed of thinking in these long terms, yeah. right? So. Always when you make a long-term investment, you need to think about which costs actually are coming towards you. 100%. Yeah. And this is also the same for the CO2 price because the CO2 price is not only going to be paid by the steel industry. Every consumer is going to pay that price when they get their heating bill. Everyone's affected. So, and if you are heating from solar, you're not paying any price. Exactly. So you need to consider all these aspects. Most definitely. I mean, in our preparation for our conversation, I read that BMW doesn't see sustainability as a sacrifice, but rather as an additional joy factor. I mean, I just got a little bit of a joy factor making that connection with the LED light bulb and like, whoa, if we can do that, we can do so much more for the for the auto industry. So um, indulge us. Can you explain a little bit more about the joy factor in sustainability? Of course. Um, I think we've already also touched some of these aspects when you just th- think about the materials. Yeah. And the world of different materials is so fascinating, especially if you think about bio-based materials. Mm. The texture of how it feels um, is going to be so different than from something that is artificially yeah. produced. Um, and so when you when you touch um, bio-based materials like wood, for example, that has a so different feeling to mm-hmm. it. And you can do so many different things with bio-based materials. And 
I think that's going to be the fun factor, actually, of exploring these new materials. Oh, really? The texture? Texture, um, uh, look and feel, but it's also the smell, right? Yeah. So um, I think a car that has a much higher share of bio-based materials mm -hmm. will smell differently, totally differently wow. than right now. Um, and so we're also exploring these aspects of texture, of smell, of how it feels, and of how the whole experience in the car is yeah. going to feel. So if you're surrounded by biomaterials in the car, that feels differently than it does today. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of that is going to be changed. And um, and what I can promise is that you're going to see um, those things in the coming month of yeah. what we are going to present in terms of materials that are either secondary materials. Really? There are a lot of things that you, you're going to, to see that we are presenting in terms of biomaterials and secondary materials. Wow. Wow. So you say in the next couple of months, but l let's take it even further. You know, in the next five to 10 years, let's jump into the future for a little bit. What do you think is on the horizon? What will have changed uh, at BMW if we did the exact same talk again, if I asked you the exact same questions, but in five to 10 years from now? Um, in five to 10 years, we will, of course, be much further in terms of the development of mm -hmm. these materials. We will know how they look. We will see how it actually feels. Um, but then we will also reach some challenges, right? Because mm -hmm. now it's easy to change because there's so so much potential. Right. Um, but if you're already at a secondary steel share, then you're reaching limits. Yeah. And this is where it really gets then interesting and fascinating. And then um, I think you will see the companies who are really innovative mm -hmm. and who really make that last mile. Mm -hmm. Because that last mile is going to be the most difficult mile. Yeah. It's going to be the most difficult in terms of construction um, and in terms of thinking of actually daring to go different roads. Mm -hmm. You say the last mile. Um, anybody that's run a marathon, I haven't. My goodness, I've done a 10K about 10 years ago, and that was tough enough. But um, from what I hear is, you know, you have the 26.2 miles, and that last, you do the 26 miles, but that point two is the hardest ever. And that makes sense in this, in this example as well. That last bit is going to be where the real challenges come. Um, all right, so as drivers in the future, in five to 10 years from now, how will things have adapted to those changes as drivers? So I think um, what we are going to feel is that the car is probably going to be to feel differently from mm -hmm. the interior, from the materials. Um, and of course, driving an electric car is very different from driving yeah. a, a yeah. combustion engine. And um, everybody who's already done it uh, knows about the fascination exactly. of, of driving an electric car. So I think this is different. And um, then, of course, I mean, driving an electric car is going to be so much cheaper in the use phase. Mm -hmm. So this is also an aspect that, of course, influences the usage. Um, and there we will see how much actually usage goes up because mm -hmm. it's going to be cheaper. Yeah. Um, and there we also need to think about how we're um, intelligently using this um, this advantage, so to say, and where we really need the car and want the car and uh, where we actually might have substitutes like um, bikes or, or something mm -hmm. else. So yeah. I think the car um, has a, a very important position in the mobility mix, yeah. but we need to intelligently think of which aspects of the mobility mix are for the car and for whom and, and who actually needs the car and wants the car and who actually does not want 
to use the car. Mm. From our analysis that we've done in different cities, we see that there are people who are using a car, but who don't want to use a car. They are just using it because there's no real alternative to the ah. car. And so what we need to have is a, is a transportation system that gives people who don't want to use a car the options of using something else exactly. and a viable option. Yeah. Because it's not an option if it takes you double the amount of time, but you can use it, but it's not an option, right? Exactly. And so I think that's also an important aspect of giving people the choice, mm -hmm. a real choice, because there are so many places on this earth where you don't have a choice. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. All right. Last question. And let's wrap this up in, in style, especially with choice. You know, we have our choice as people of this earth and trying to be more sustainable and making the choice to change and the reasons why not to change and the reasons why we should change. So what would you say to someone who's on the fence about changing their mentality or daily routine to a more sustainable lifestyle? What would you say to them to help them change and make a more sustainable choice for themselves and for others? For everyone who's reluctant, and I'm also uh, in at times a reluctant person when it comes to change in some areas where I don't want to change, it feels good having changed actually. And mm -hmm. this is something that we need to think about before the change, how good it feels once you've done the changes and once you have endeavored on that journey. So before starting, um, I think it's always good to envision the end point mm -hmm. and where you wanna be. And there are a lot of aspects also in terms of sustainability that go in hand um, with other aspects. So, for example, when we think about substituting the car with the bike on some days a week, there's also the body aspect, the, the health aspect, yeah. of course, and, and being out in nature, etc. And so if you find aspects in your life where you can actually reach two or three goals at a time, I think those are the things that you should be changing mm -hmm. And if that also helps you to achieve other goals like being more fit or being out in nature or losing weight, et cetera, yeah. I think that tremendously helps to reaching your goals. And that feels good. Absolutely. Right? That feels good. And you're helping the environment, you're being more sustainable, and it all comes full circle, doesn't it? Exactly. exactly. That's the case. Oh my goodness, Irena, everything's coming full circle. The potential, the, the idea of the LED light bulb moving into our homes, and now with the electric cars and the batteries moving into our garages, it just makes sense and it really does come full circle. I know that our podcast listeners might need a breather just to take all this in like I did today. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and spending time with us today. Thank you so much. And thank you to our podcast listeners for listening to this week's episode of Changing Lanes. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I'm sure I did, uh, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast for future episodes and to dive even deeper into all things BMW, head on over to bmw.com to learn more. I'm Jonathan Tilley, and this has been Changing Lanes. See you next time. Mm -hmm.